about horror films and if you're new to the podcast you can find us on youtube instagram spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts uh today we have another fun list for you in this episode we will count down our top 10 gut-wrenching death scenes in horror movies. We had quite the discussion about what gut-wrenching means. <laughs> yes, yes, we, differ. we did. We differ in thought on what this means. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, before we talk about what a gut-wrenching death scene is, I just wanted to say that I like doing the list. They're really fun. Oh, I think I say I love you. I just love want to you. say that I love you. Yes, That's in a gut wrenching way. Oh, voluntary <laughs> shows my understanding <laughs> of the phrase. Um, I like the list too, though the lists are fun. We have several lists ongoing, so that when something pops up and fits into one of those lists, we enter it. Yeah, it's really great for car rides, yeah. especially or especially long road trips, because mm-hmm. you're sitting there thinking about. What could possibly go on this list? Yeah, all the time in the world to just think. You know, sometimes we're a bit too distracted or able to appease our boredom. So I think being bored is good. Yeah. Boredom is wonderful in creating these lists. So it's to us, we're trying to be clever and tie things into the, you know, the word gut. So we came up with gut wrenching, but basically what we mean by that is we just mean something that's very, that you feel very viscerally for. Uh, So a character that when they die, when they get it in these movies, you feel very deeply for them. So that's what I meant by gut wrenching. Like I've got (laughs) so many feelings and it's tying my my guts and knots. Yeah, we did definitely disagree on what the meaning of gut wrenching meant. For me, like, I think I agreed with you in the fact that it is, um, to me, gut-wrenching is something that is visceral. Are you typing up the gut-wrenching meaning? I am. Webster's Dictionary (laughs) defines gut-wrenching as... Webster defines gut-wrenching as uh, extremely unpleasant or upsetting. Yes. So Tony was latching onto the unpleasant idea about it. And I think I was more latching onto the upsetting. So when someone dies in a scene and I just feel so deeply for that character, I feel upset. Right. And I think you are understanding this as more of like something that pulls up the heartstrings. Mm -hmm. Whereas me, I was thinking about it in terms of like, what gives me that visceral reaction? Like, I want to throw up when I see the scene. You know, that's sort of where I was going with it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very literally. So we discussed it further and we came up with it is a death that is tragic. And there are many deaths in horror movies in general, but you don't always get to feel for every character. A lot of characters, as Tony likes to say, are just fodder. Uh, for <laughs> the killer. That's true. I do say that quite you know, often. Like, oh, just killer fodder. Uh, like, oh, that lady introduced to die. Uh, yeah. And so those ones, you're like, oh, whatever. Or someone who's really annoying. You're like, oh, man, they made them annoying so that you don't care when they die. Yeah. So on this list, we definitely have like some some big characters yeah, and um, some touching scenes. To. Yes. And then when they when they get it, you might you might shed a tear. Maybe two. <laughs> sometimes you're actually rooting for the villain a little more than the characters yeah. because the writers <laughs> know that the audience is there to just to see sort of like sensational violence to basically to like see an awesome show kill. a really cool gore see some, scene. Good, some good effects yeah, hence what i'm wearing my friday the 13th i'm looking at you jason Voorhees, and the characters within your series are sometimes unlikable sometimes and therefore surface level yeah we root for <laughs> jason over these characters not always um i've got a list of characters we, that i really love oh okay I was gonna say, we have another list got a wtf death scene list and a lot of 
There are a lot of Jason kills in that one. Right. That one's more like characters we don't really care about that yeah. just kind of shocked us. But We're like, oh, this one is a list of characters <laughs> that we felt enough of a deep emotional attachment to to um, label their death as tragic. Yeah. It's nice when that happens in any movie in general because we go to movies to feel something. To feel as, As Nicole Kidman likes yes, to say. Yes, thank you for picking up on yeah. that reference. Well, your emotion said it all. <laughs> Somehow, tragedy feels good, good in, in a place, place like this. this. That's not the exact quote. It's heartbreak. Though, right? I think it's all heartbreak. Right. For any of you who are AMC A-list Nicole members, Kidman fans. y'all know what we're talking about. Yeah. And a lot of Nicole Kidman fans out there. Yes. Know, and I will tell you right now that I am never clapping she, he's when never that applauding. advertisement come off. I go out to get a refill on popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I I love Nicole Kidman. However, I I do understand Tony's. I will say discontent. That my discontent clappers. at that commercial is actually with the commercial itself, not specifically Nicole Kidman, but the person who she represents in that commercial is someone who seems dis- <laughs> disconnected from reality. From reality, from she walks into an empty movie theater as if she is never set foot in this that is place the where commoners go. There, that is the irony of that commercial is that she, someone has cleared out this entire theater just for right. Nicole. They've rented it for personally for and she's, her. And she's dressed to the nines in her sparkly pinstripe pants. Right. She's, I don't think she's eating any popcorn. No, no definitely snacks. not. She's not staying past the previews. She feels really uncomfortable when she's sitting in the chair. She's just like, um. no, but she looks like she's having a great time. She's in awe. And it's, wonderment. It's more of like the sort of wonderment that a, an undercover queen would have. <laughs> like the prince like and the popper. walking around with the poppers. Yes, mm. exactly. That's why I have the problem with that one. Yeah. All right. Um, anyways, <laughs> well, that's, I think we we'll probably review whole, that, yeah. that preview on it. Yeah, we're going to have to do day. a gut spill on just gut spill the Nicole. Nicole Kidman commercial at yeah. AMC Theaters. So before we start this countdown, we should note that there will definitely be spoilers. Because a lot of these deaths <gasps> happen at crucial moments. Yeah. We will say the movie first. If it's one that you haven't seen, I don't know, just skip ahead. A little spoiler for our list here. Um, there is a movie on this list that I actually haven't seen, so I'm oh, yeah. going to skip ahead 15 seconds in the discussion yeah. when we get to so that point. So he's just going to close his ears when yeah. I start talking yeah. about it. Yeah, So you're not, yeah, not allowed to spoil that one <laughs> well, for me. Sorry. Like spoiled it's Ghost Dad. going to happen. No one wants to see Ghost Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get started. Okay. This is our top 10 gut-wrenching death gut-wrenching scenes. Gut-wrenching death scenes that made us feel a lot of feelings. Yes. All right, number 10 on our list is from 20 days later fair warning (laughs) and it happens towards the end and it is the character of frank played by brendan gleason Jimmy's infected! No! No! Jim! No! Jim, get it! Get it! I love everything that Brendan Gleeson is in. Um, and so when he got it in this scene, yeah, you do feel... What else has he been in? I'm he's been in Lake Placid uh, in Bruges. Okay. Um, he's, he, I think he's a pretty big Irish actor. Yeah. He was in one of the vignettes for that Coen brother movie, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah. Um. Well, what is it about his death scene in 28 Days Later that tugged at your heartstrings? You get the impression before you, you meet him that he has spent this apocalypse, just him and his daughter. His wife has passed on. And so he's really just trying to find a way to make sure his daughter is set up. Um, because in this apocalypse, you can't predict when you're going to be out of there. And so he knows that he can't just stay at the top floor of his apartment complex forever, trying to collect water droplets in his myriad containers on the roof. Right. Um, and so he finds Jim and Serena, Serena or Selena, Selena, Selena. So when he meets up with Jim and Selena, 
Uh, he's like, oh, great, friends. And so he makes it like almost the entire movie. And he's got this like, you know, cuddly disposition, like cuddly, gruff, strong disposition. Yeah. Uh, just trying to be a good, you know, provider and role model to his daughter. It's just, you know, him. His final scene, he's having a, a tiny tantrum because they've been through so much and um, they've been on this journey and their journey kind of leads them nowhere. And he's pissed and he looks up and we see that stupid crow chomping on an eyeball <laughs> and the the blood droplet falls into his eyeball. One single little One droplet of single blood. droplet. And you're like, oh, shoot. I didn't know you could get rage by a blood droplet in your eyeball. But you're guessing that you can because of the way the camera focused on it. His daughter is kind of like crying out for him and she's, at like, this, dad? she's like she's like dad dad, dad. And, and selena's screaming jim get him he's infected yeah and then the swat team comes out of nowhere and they blow him away yeah um but not even, before he turns so we do see him rageful we do see we get to see him rageful but before he rages out he knows what's gonna happen and i think he's that's, like get away get away get away and he's like trying to be firm but he's also trying to like, you know, impart a few last words before he turns and he knows it's going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's what tugs on the heartstrings right. in this scene is that he has to think fast. He knows he's got seconds. Yeah. Um, well, the thing for me that makes it such a tragic moment is that he is such a noble character. And it's um, this father protecting his daughter. His whole existence is to is there to protect his daughter. So, mm -hmm. what would you do if you knew you had like seconds before you raged out? Yeah, and of course, like there's the music that's playing. Um, it's really intense at that moment, and it's a shaky cam, so everything just feels yeah. so heightened. So. Yeah, very heightened. Yes. yes, good job, Danny Boyle. Yeah, good job, Danny. Good job, and Brendan. Brendan. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Gleason. Yes. Yeah. Also, check out Lake Placid. Another good role. <laughs> Shout out to Lake Placid. <laughs> Shout out to Lake Placid. <laughs> you really knew your Brendan Gleason movies. I would say that I did not. I, I know no. like four. That's it. Number nine. Number nine is from the movie, one of our favorites. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun. From two. 2004 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it is sean's best <gasps> friend ed no ed don't go to me One of the saddest death scenes in any movie, let alone a horror movie. Yeah. Because Ed is such, he's like, um, you know, he's an annoying character, but he's such a lovable character. He's so loyal to Sean. He's such a good friend to Sean. He'll do mm -hmm. anything for Sean. Mm -hmm. And they get all the way to the end and they're at the bar mm -hmm. fending off the horde of zombies. They know they have nowhere to go. Yeah. And of course they're arguing and then the other uh guy what's what's that guy's name? David. David. Yeah, David, he's ruining it for everyone. Yeah, he almost shoots Sean but has no bullets and he's like, "Well, that's awkward. I'm going to peace out." Peace <laughs> just opens the door, walks on out and then all of a sudden He doesn't do that though. Shit he, hits the fan. He he says he's gonna and then um, he like stands next to the door and then they he's, break through. He stands right? by the window and he's like, I'm he's he's about to apologize. And then they burst through the window and take him. And that's when it goes down. <laughs> and in that ruckus, that is when we <laughs> lose our friend Ed and yeah. he's bitten, but he fights to the he, very he end. He gets bit on the neck. He's even cracking jokes. He cracks jokes. He knows the situation. And yeah. he knows he's going to turn, but he's going to be there. And so they're in the basement of the Winchester, and it's just Sean, Liz, and and Ed. And Sean and Liz are being schmaltzy, and they're like, "Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to die single, do you?" And Ed's like, "Oh, change my mind. I want to die now. <laughs> Kill me." A <laughs> uh, very touching moment. Yeah. Even sadder than yeah. when Sean's mom dies. I don't know. That was pretty tragic because. 
But it didn't make the list, so it couldn't have been that tragic. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. You're Sorry, out. Mom. You're, it was expected. Yeah. <laughs> we knew you were going to go. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that movie was good, though, because it's just like it It starts off like hilarity ensues immediately. It's got, a, it's got the perfect and balance of comedy, it, action, storytelling. And tragedy. Tragedy. Yeah, it's got it all. That's why that movie is my, my top two, number two movie. Mm. Number two horror movie. It's it's like one of the most rewatchable yeah. movies. Yeah, it is. And the thing, okay, my opinion on Ed is that you get like a little silver lining towards at the end. Because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, he's, he's a zombie. But he gets to <laughs> hang out with his friend forever playing video games in the shed. And he's not much different than what he was. He's the same. He's still kind of a he, loaf. He's a little bit bitey. Like he gets a little snappy <laughs> at him. But Sean's like, hey. A little more rotted. Yeah, just a little stinkier. Yeah. So it does have a happy ending yeah. in a way. So our first two movies have been zombie or zombie-esque movies. Mm-hmm. What is number eight going to be? Number eight. Okay. Is from a movie called... Is it a zombie movie? It is not a zombie movie. Oh, okay. It is a slasher. It is from 1983's Angel. Whoa, okay. And so this is the one where I was like, oh man, I don't know if I should put this because I don't know if it's that popular. But when I saw this and this character died, I... I, I did cry. And I was just like, <laughs> oh. It's those characters that are the comic relief throughout the entire movie, and then they die in a heroic way. And that's what gets me every time. Yeah. But an angel, the character of May. I don't want Angel to see me like this, okay? No. I promise. Yes, I promise. You're gorgeous, bro. Thanks, baby. <laughs> Don't go, darling, sweetheart. You're gorgeous, bro. And May is, so if you haven't seen Angel, Angel is a, she's a very young prostitute. Uh, She's going to college, trying to, you know, make her way in the world. She's Mm -hmm. smart. She's got ambitions, but she basically is just her. Yeah. And she, she um, doesn't really have parents. And so her family is like a chosen family of these other um, women of the night. And May is kind of. The closest thing she has to a guardian. May is her friend who is another woman of the night. Yeah. Um, who is also a man uh, cross-dressing. Mm-hmm. And May is a very lovable character, the comedic relief, she's as you funny. said. She's yeah. funny. Yeah. And so anything bad that happens, she's got like a, a clever quip for it. Um, and she tries to protect protect angel throughout the film and this slasher who's preying upon young young females of the night he tries to to get at angel and may is there may's at angel's apartment i think during this scene yeah and angel's not there um, but may is and the slasher comes in and even in this kind of cat and mouse chase may is still spouting off like little quippy one-liners and but you it's not cheesy like she she, you can sense the terror um but she's almost like she can't help it she's funny she's just deflecting with humor yeah and she like she pulls out her her boob cutlets and throws those at him she's like look look i'm not a i'm not a woman don't kill me you want to kill women (laughs) and and like i'm like oh my god he's funny she's funny and um and he still gets her. The The killer still gets her. And when May's sassy friend from downstairs discovers her body, the friend who was so hardened the entire movie, she breaks down. 
And she kind of has like this like spiked haircut and she wears like a leather jacket or something. And um, when she finds May, she's just like, she's crying. She's like, no, you can't be dead. You can't die. And I think she actually like curses at her as she's at her dead body. And it's just like, this really tragic scene. The entire time these two had been like back and forth bantering. And um, to see all of that animosity dissolve in an instant because you you really did love each other. You were really friends. <sighs> Lots of feelings. Lots of feelings, yes. Yeah. Agreed. One. So so far we have two best friends and a dad. So it it's you know, in this from yeah. the storytelling perspective, it's these characters who are noble people. It's yeah. not just like some jackass off the street, the neighborhood punk. Yeah. And the, <laughs> these three are um definitely supporting characters. I think supporting characters are hard to pull off, I think. As yeah. You know, I imagine as like an actor, uh, if you are the lead, you have all the time in the world to to build your case that you're a, a cool person. But if you're supporting, you have limited scenes. And I think it's harder to be a supporting character and to be that likable so that when you you die, the audience really feels for you. Yeah. OK, number seven is. From the movie Jennifer's Body in 2009, it is the indie rock lead singer. No, just kidding. <laughs> From Low Shoulder. <laughs> low Shoulder. No, it is Human Jennifer, played by Megan Fox. Jenny, you're the girl for me. Now, you don't know me, but you make me so happy. I tried to call you before, but I lost my nerve. I used my imagination, but I was disturbed. Jenny, I got your number. I need to make you mine. Jenny, don't change your number. So what's the difference between Human Jennifer and the other Jennifer? Human Jennifer is the one who is sacrificed by Low Shoulder. The indie rock band trying to make it big because it's hard out there <laughs> for an indie rocker. Yeah, Jennifer's body, I think one of the things that made it such a good movie was the fact that it had these little bits of like satire. Yeah. Especially, really. yeah, the indie rock band needing to sacrifice some innocent girl because they it's, wanted to sell their records it's such a it's like so, good yeah. script diablo cody's script the lead singer of of low shoulder played by adam brody even says before he sacrifices her do you know how hard it is out there for an indie rock band to make it they're all so <laughs> cute <laughs> what is it that makes the scene so sad for you when demon jennifer is talking to needy She's telling her how she died. She's like, oh, yeah, low shoulder, totally evil. And you see this flashback happen. Jennifer gets into this creepy van and she's just riding along and it's quiet. No one's talking. And you get the sense that she's starting to feel panic, but quiet panic. And uh, I think she even says, something like, are you guys like rapists or something? And they're like, oh, ha, ha, no. And she's looking around. She could see like the like these occult artifacts lying around the van. Yeah. And the rest of the bandmates, everyone besides Adam Brody's character, they all look unsure of, of about what they're about to do. And they all look a little bit nervous. And they're just staring at her. And she gets more and more uncomfortable. And her eyes actually well up. And um, she, she cries a little bit quietly to herself because she's not sure what she just got herself into. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so sad about about human Jennifer is because I think females can imagine that fear. So is it because she's undeserving? It's because she's a teenager. It's because she's, yeah, she's she's like, you know, a popular kind of bitchy high schooler, but she's still a kid. Yeah, there's plenty of teenagers that have died in horror films that are not sad. I think it's the acting. I think this is Megan Fox's strongest role. And I think it's something we never expected to see from Megan Fox up until this point. Um, we just expected to see her perpetually as the hot girl. 
Um, and she plays that very well. She plays the hot girl very well, but she also portrayed just being a human, a, a human teenage girl fearing for your life mm -hmm. and that vulnerability. Um, and it was probably the way the camera lingered on her and you could just, I feel like a lot of females watch that and just could imagine how horrifying that would be um, to have gotten swept away in a crush or in the chaos of, you know, <laughs> the burning building. And then to realize that you made a mistake. Not every mistake ends like that, but there's always that potential. And I think you are told horror stories as, you know, a young female growing up, like, don't do this. Boys are only going to do this. And so you're told to be so careful, but there can be any, any number of moments in which you let that, that guard down and you take a chance and it's the absolutely wrong decision that you right. could have made. And as soon as Jennifer lets her guard down, mm -hmm. now she is in that position where she has been taken and she's going to be murdered. Yeah. And it's her against like five dudes. She's got no chance. Yeah. She tries every tactic in the book. She pleads. She even says like, oh, the sweetest thing that I will be on your street team. Ugh. She's like trying <laughs> so hard. She's like, I will help you. I'll help promote your band. <laughs> Don't kill me. I'll be on your street team. And when she says it, she says it so earnestly. She doesn't even say it with any like hint of irony. Yeah. She's she's genuine. She does not want to die. Uh, and it's not looking good. Ugh, such a sad scene. The <laughs> whole movie is so funny. But <laughs> that scene when human Jennifer dies. Tragic. All right. Number six. We have from the 1968 movie, Night of the Living Dead. So if you haven't seen this, then shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is the character of Ben. Played by Dwayne Jones. All right, Vince, hit him in the head, right between the eyes. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire. To me, this is one of the most tragic deaths in a horror film that I have ever seen. And it really hit me hard the first time I watched this movie and realized what was going on. You were there with this character who has to survive the night. And he is so strong and he... Um, he's smart. He's smart and he's the leader. He doesn't make every decision correctly, but he, he mostly is... I would say like 98%. He's careful. Yeah. And brave. He, so he, yeah, he was all the qualities of a survivor and a hero mm -hmm. and who is worthy of surviving. Like an afterthought just cheaply picked off at the end for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. He survives the night. He's looking out the window. He sees help coming and he gets shot. And yeah. Then the movie just ends. And it's like one of the most dark and grim endings I know when I first saw that, I was just like, what? You're just so shocked like, and no, taken aback. No, yeah. no, he's fine. It was a flesh wound. It scraped him. And after, while the credits are rolling with this really sort of just somber music playing and almost documentary style footage of townspeople um, who are also all like white people. So it's, you know, Ben is a black character. So it's like, that actually adds like that extra layer that one of the things that people always talk about with Romero films about how he was so um, keen with the social commentary. So they kill Ben and then they just throw him onto a pile of bodies and he's just done. like the like, rest. Yeah. yeah. He's he's he becomes human garbage. Yeah. Actually just like shows me the impact that a, that a horror film can have. Mm -hmm. Zombie movies tend to be want more of the bleak types of stories out yeah. there and um like feudal 
efforts. I think to me that like that is that is fear. That is horror for mm-hmm. me. Now, with that said, there have been a lot of really bad zombie movies because they got so popular. <laughs> um, number five is from the 1973 film The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And it is Father Karras, played by Jason Miller. Yeah. Come into me. God damn you. Take me. Take me. The look on his face before he walks up the stairs to go do what he's got to do. And so he towards, knows what he's got to do. Towards the end of the he's movie, decided. it's you see him on the stairs and you see the mom sitting down and looking so defeated. And he he looks at her and he like looks up the stairs and just walks up slowly. And you're like, oh, I know. Or you're like, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Father Karras is one of the quintessential tragic figures in a horror movie. He's this flawed priest who is questioning his faith. Yeah. And now he has to um, be responsible for saving this little girl. And the whole time in the movie, I love Father Karras' demeanor in the beginning when he first talks to... Reagan as Pazuzu and Pazuzu opens up the drawer and Karis looks at it and he's like did you do that like oh you're tricky (laughs) almost like he doesn't believe it and I love his kind of sarcastic nonchalant nature in the beginning and then as he goes along and starts to fear more he starts to gain his faith Um, whereas in the beginning when we see him he seems like he's kind of faltering on his face he's like "Eh, i don't know it's not until like the end when he starts to really believe but he knows what he has to do which is sacrifice himself basically commit suicide and not only sacrifice himself he's yeah like you're i think you're about to say he's sacrificing his soul yeah because that's the the number one no-no in catholicism is to Take your own life. He has determined that this is the only way, is to let Pazuzu enter into him so that he can kill himself and end it. So it's like, oh, man, he wrestled with his faith the whole time. And now that he finally believes again, he has to commit the ultimate, I guess, crime. Yeah. I think this is another example of where you go on a tiring journey with a character and then the character commits an act that is either like like so noble or heroic that it just it's those noble ones yeah (gasps) those noble characters that sacrifice and die (laughs) which brings us to number four another sacrifice noble there's yeah there's a running theme this um, lots of sacrifice sacrifice and all Mm -hmm. that from 2018's a quiet place it is the character of lee played by john krasinski And this is another example of um, someone making the ultimate sacrifice for his own children. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's one of those characters where the entire movie, he's been so careful. Uh, Him and, you know, his Emily Blunt, the two of them, 
so careful throughout the yeah. whole movie. Although I got some arguments against this. Movie, oh, in the beginning? No, I'm just like, they have their, their little bunker where they have, you know, they're trying to protect themselves from oh, the yeah. creatures mm-hmm. and trying to muffle the sound. But they use one little mattress to cover their... Well, they only, they could only find one. They could have found more mattresses. Come on. Uh, <laughs> they could have made that thing a lot more soundproof. It was depleted. I mean, everyone else <laughs> took the mattresses. They got one twin bed size. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some problems with yeah. the movie itself. Yeah. I did enjoy the movie, but I do agree with um, this selection as being a very tragic death. And I think a lot of it in this case is not only the character and the acting by John Krasinski, but it's also the um, the music and, and the plot. Like it's it's the almost sound. like one of those yeah. moments in, in a film where all of the moments come together mm-hmm. and really heightens yeah. the the scene. And it's his relation his strained relationship with his daughter who's deaf. She's felt the whole movie that it has been her fault that the youngest child, the youngest sibling died. And she has felt that her dad has blamed her this whole time. In this moment when she's in the truck with her her second to youngest brother and they're terrified they're being attacked by these crazy alien creatures and john krasinski is just like what do i do yeah and he knows that there's like one solution that he can think of in this moment he's got to think fast because these creatures are insanely vicious and strong he has just enough time and yes it's a cinematic moment and perhaps a bit (laughs) cheesy but it gets you yeah and he has enough time to make eye contact with his daughter and he signs to her (gasps) (gasps) (laughs) 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 yeah he's just like i always loved you oh it's so moving and then he screams (laughs) 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 the scream was okay but when he does the signing that he always loved her and then he yeah see that's the great thing about Mm -hmm. these lists um that we make is that it's not always necessarily from our favorite movie but it's just a moment in a movie that was just like something we remembered it was was done in just the right way yeah like they pushed all the correct buttons to make it a really touching moment yeah number three we're getting into the top i know are you nervous you're gonna cry at the end of this Um, i keep feeling very emotional talking about these death scenes (laughs) they're impactful number three is from the film scream 1996 Mm -hmm. and for you horror fans you might be able to guess that it is Casey Becker, Casey played by Becker. Drew Barrymore. opening scene of one of the most iconic horror films of our generation yeah and maybe of all time yeah Wes Craven's other masterpiece or one of his many masterpieces Mm -hmm. I really loved Shocker really we have it on a shared DVD with Virus (laughs) (laughs) anyways it's pretty good was a shocker what a shocker so we have the opening scene of scream and casey becker who is on the phone with ghostface um trying to play a little guessy the horror movie trivia for her boyfriend's life and her own life steve uh no one cared about steve but you know um what what is what is it about casey becker's death that had such a lasting impact for you. And you know, when I finally saw it came out when I was like in sixth grade, so I couldn't see it right away. But when I finally saw it, I already knew that she died. There was an interview with Drew Barrymore when it first came out. She's like, oh, I I have the Janet Lee role. 
And you're like, oh. And you got that reference in sixth yeah. grade? Okay. <laughs> what a young cinephile you were. Well, my parents. I think when I was in sixth grade, I probably would not have known who Janet Lee was. Oh, well, my, my parents watched a lot of the classics. And um, so I did know about like Alfred Hitchcock movies and how Janet Lee was the opening. She was like a the it girl at the time. And it was such a shocker that she died in like the opening for the movie or something. And Yeah. Um, and so when I heard that she Drew Barrymore had the Janet Lee role, and I was like, oh, they ruined it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure that went over the head of most people who, oh. especially young people, go and see the movie. So oh. it's your own fault for knowing too much about movies. Thanks, parents. Yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> it didn't stop it from being a tragic moment. It didn't. For you. So even so, though I knew she was going to die. Yeah. And that opening scene, how long is it? It's like 10 minutes or something. It's... Like the whole movie. It, it's the whole movie. It's a whole short <laughs> the film. The movie ends after. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, man, this lady's going through so much. Just trying to make her popcorn over the stove, which who does that in the 90s, by the way? We all had smart pop. Yeah. The kind that turns colors in the microwave. What's she doing with that? Wait, what? Anyway. No, I use the stove top you, popcorn. You use the stove top? Of course. Oh. Yeah. Jolly oh. pop. That was jolly pop? Yeah. That was blasto butter? Um, yeah, it was... Jolly time. Jolly time or something oh, like that. I don't know. Anyway. That was common. Well, I never used it. I used the microwave kind that turned colors. But you can't just assume that everyone else is doing exactly what you were doing as Why a kid. Why not? I was very egocentric. Yeah. <laughs> no theory of mind. <laughs> anyway, so she's she's going along with this dumb game and it's not ending. And it gets real when Steve's guts get splayed out and... Um, the tragic part to me was when she sees her parents' car in the distance. You see the headlights. So and it's tragic like, because she almost made she it. She almost made it. And she tried so hard. And she's and Drew Barrymore is acting her little, her little heart out. Like, <laughs> I think. This is not the never been kissed Drew Barrymore. No, it's like, hey, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think this was probably like her best acting role that I've seen that I remember. Yeah. I mean, E.T. was pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> but this scene where, yeah, she's just like frustrated and terrified. She almost makes it. The way her ending moment is shot where it's like slow motion and she's running towards the car and ghost face intercepts her at like a, almost like a perpendicular angle and grabs her and stabs her in the chest and when she's being dragged across the lawn and she's still talking to her mom listlessly into the phone and she's like <laughs> so sad and you can hear her mom in the other end she's like casey baby and she's like oh that poor mom like that doesn't sound good. Where's my where's my daughter at? There's like burnt popcorn in here. Dead boyfriend in the driveway. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say that that death made me teary. It definitely was shocking, and it definitely was tragic. It was tragic. Yeah. Just the length of time that death took. Yeah. Like that whole cat and mouse. I've never seen a cat and mouse chase like that. That's lasted that long. Yeah, definitely in at that time too. In yeah, like Wes Craven, man, he really milked it. Yeah. And then you get the opening title. Jeez, <laughs> you really were set up for. Yeah, you're like, what the heck am I gonna see next? Because that was insane. One of the reasons why it's one of the best horror movies of all time. Number two, you actually have not seen this one. Yeah, so if you remember from earlier, I mentioned that there There's was a one movie that on he hasn't that I seen. seen. This is one. This might be controversial. I don't know. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Uh, I know it's not a favorite. <laughs> I am fully aware that his 2009 Halloween 2 is not a favorite in the whole Halloween franchise amongst fans. But there's no denying that this scene, this character's death is crazy and i rewatched just the scene the other day and and without spoiling it spoiling it yeah, what, what could you say about it i cried 
<laughs> Which is not like a huge thing. I cried for most of these. <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot of emotions when it comes to horror films. But also, I think what what made me feel so much for this character's death is that I love this character. Uh, it's one of my favorite characters in all of like movie cinema. Uh, and not particularly... Just the best friend? It's the character of Annie, um, who in the 1978 version, played by Nancy Loomis, I loved her so much. She's yeah. dry and witty and just cool. <laughs> just like, and so how does that affect the character from the Rob Zombie movie? Because I can't not think of her. And I, I feel like the Rob Zombie Halloween versions, he also loves the character of Annie. Now go have some fun. Okay. wanted Annie to get like a bigger moment in the 1978 version. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a different kind of film. It's more simple and it's, it's a little bit slower paced, but with the Rob Zombie ones, you can tell that he's a huge fan also of Halloween and that he loved the character of Annie mm -hmm. because he gave her the most awesome death scene. It's one of the most tragic death scenes I've ever seen. And he really does her justice. Um, also, um, the actress, Daniel Harris, who plays Annie in the Rob Zombie Halloweens, she does a fantastic job. And, and she's also in Halloween 4 and 5. She is in Halloween 4 and 5, so that's cool. She kind of has her, her foot in that, yeah, that door. Cool. <laughs> I don't think I realized at the time when I first saw this that that was little Jamie. It wasn't until later I was like, oh, that's Daniel Harris. Crazy. Mm -hmm. But her death scene is horrific. There's blood everywhere. All over her body and the walls, the floor, the bathtub. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and she's just like, she can barely speak. She's like sputter. Like she's still alive. Um, and she's sputtering and choking on her blood. And when Lori finds her in the bathroom, the two of them obviously have this bond. And she's crying out for her friend. She calls her baby. And she's cradling her her slippery, bloody body in her arms. And she's, you know, about to get it. Or she's just about to, like, you know, be dead. Mm -hmm. But also, her dad, played by Brad Dorif, who's an amazing actor, his reaction when he sees his, his daughter just laid out in this awful way. So Gets is it acting performance? Yeah, and it's again they like when she actually was getting stabbed, they did that in slow motion too. And it's like, oh man, you're forced to like <laughs> stay with it in like suspended time almost. And the the over accentuated hor horrific nature um of the set, the overly imposing Michael Myers makes it very haunting terrifying and tragic it's 
done big in the way that Rob Zombie likes to do these yeah. big, giant, almost like love letters to his characters as he's killing them off. Like he does in The Devil's Rejects uh, with the big yes. free bird scene. Yes. I love the way you put that. It is like a love letter. And this is like a love letter to Annie um, because I think a lot of us loved Annie um, in the 1978 Halloween. And so this gives her a death that she not that she deserved but that's what i'm saying the difference (laughs) between the devil's rejects is that those characters deserve they deserve what they got but it was still like but it's like he felt it was still emotional yeah he felt for them and he gave them a death that was i don't know how to word this yeah but i guess in the horror world no one wants to just like you know get a gunshot in the head like ben in night of the living dead gunshot in the head from the distance oh that sucks but if you're gonna go out you want to go out guns blazing or in like a big bloody mess of glory yeah if you're the actor yeah exactly so it's like he gave this character the time that she deserved hmm all right you convinced me to watch the rob zombie remix of halloween which i haven't seen (laughs) I mean, I, I know they're not they're not like fan favorites, but Some I think I think they definitely have their qualities. And I can definitely appreciate that Mr. Zombie has such a a passion for the franchise. Mm. And I feel like that comes through. All right. Number one. We made it. We did it. The number one um, of our top 10 gut wrenching deaths is from the movie train to busan it is the father character siok wu um played by gong yu It's really what made this movie so good. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and I'm and i starting to see a trend. You are going through this wild ride with these characters in the situations that no one should ever go through. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the big reasons why we watch horror movies. You're able to put yourself in these situations. Without having to be in those situations. Exactly, yeah. So it's, so it's like zombie apocalypse. And there is a dad doing everything he can to get his daughter away from harm and from danger, to get her Mm -hmm. out of the situation. And this situation in this movie is pretty shitty because the zombies are fast moving. They kind of have this like dancing Capoeira style about them. They do. They're (laughs) they're on a they're kind of in a hopeless situation where they're on a train that's packed full of and zombies. And he's, he's not the best dad to begin with. Like, he's all about his business. He's all about work. Yeah. He's attached to his phone constantly. He doesn't have time for his little kid. 
um, parents are divorced or something. Doing all he can for this little girl. Yeah, but yeah, like when shit goes down, then it's like, okay, he's stepping up as best he can. They leave the train, actually. So yeah, yeah at this point, they've they've already left the main train. They've they've run around the train station a bit. They almost got flattened by a train. Uh, I think maybe almost blown up by something. And yeah, so they've gone through a lot. They've gone through a lot. And there's the last train. There's one last train that's going out of this city. And um, they make it. So it's like him and his daughter and the pregnant lady. And this is the climax of the movie. Uh, the thing that makes it so tragic and heartfelt and gut-wrenching is the overt sappy music yes. and the, the child acting this little girl is just screaming and crying her She's eyes like, out Kashima. as the audience member you know exactly what's happening the dad was bit you can actually if you rewatch it and you see the scene where he's bit yeah because he's bit by like the worst character in the whole movie this totally self-serving business guy who is ready to drop anyone at like the drop of a hat yeah he gets bit you're like, oh, man, now you got to fight this guy. <laughs> the dad sacrificing himself yeah. for his daughter so that his daughter can go on. And his daughter does go on with this lady. Yeah. But, um, like, oh, man, but not before we get one of the most drawn out and purposefully emotional. Like, like they I don't know, know what, what they're the doing. Quite what right word is it? They're like trying to play up all of the strings. Oh, they know. Yeah. They, they know exactly what they're doing and it's The working. soft sentimental music, the little flashback and the slow motion. Oh yeah, he flashes back to when she was a baby. The daughter An like crying in, in the window. Arms. And she's screaming. Yeah. She's screaming Kajima, which I think means don't go. So she's screaming this. <gasps> and then yeah. he just lets himself fall from the moving train. Yeah. And, and you see it. his life flash before his eyes or before our eyes. It's like it's like a total cliche. <laughs> it's totally cliched. And you're like, but it oh, works. It, the whole thing works. I want I've seen that three times now. It kind of plays out like a really sappy soap, soap opera, opera. Uh, yeah. drama or something like that. But, you know, especially the first time you see it and you, you're. You're like not expecting it. I was and bawling. <laughs> I could barely breathe. I had such a headache afterward. <laughs> <laughs> so great use of an effective, emotional, climactic death scene, which gave it the number one spot yeah. on our top 10 gut-wrenching deaths. Yeah. To be fair, I'm pretty sure I cried for eight out of 10 of these. But, <laughs> but that one, I cried to the point of having to like take a nap afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. That was really awesome to go through those. I yeah. really liked reliving those moments. Yeah, all that um, emotion. Yeah. I got to get a nap. Um, before we end this, we should quickly, we wanted to do just two honorable mentions and we actually didn't discuss who our honorable oh, yeah, mention was. Honorable mention for me is in the movie Jaws. Which I'm sure everyone's seen Jaws. Yeah. So it's probably not a spoiler, but it's Quint from Jaws. <laughs> oh, man, watching that guy get bit in half at the end. That does it for you? Yeah, because that guy was so strong and so stoic and unflappable the entire time. He was like borderline a butthead. And... You, but you still kind of like him and you still want him to win. Yeah. And then actually, okay, I take it back. Sometimes you want him to get eaten. But then when you see him so vulnerable and panicked like a child, you're just like, oh, he's a human. And now he's dying. And I feel really bad for him. And oh, he just completely dissolves every every preconceived notion you had about him. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, <laughs> but still not enough to like be in my top 10. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, my honorable mention is from Scream 2. It's Randy. <gasps> Randy. You want to be one of the big boys? Huh? Manson? Bundy? OJ? Yes. 
is so sad. Because he's such a beloved character. <sighs> Still pissed. In the Scream franchise. And when he dies, everyone's just, I don't know. I it's, it's just so sad because he is the smart guy. Yeah. He's the guy he's who... He's funny. He's funny. He's smart. He knows the situation. He knows that he could go. He even made... A tape just in case he gets killed. Yeah, he made it for the for the third one that we got to see. Yeah. So I was glad about that in number three. But that is actually, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I actually don't like Scream 2 that much. Because <laughs> of Randy's death. <laughs> yeah, so sad. He didn't deserve it. He was a good person. No, what were they thinking? Yeah. That about does it for this episode. Uh, let us know what are your top gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching death deaths. Scenes. And yeah. uh, you can email us at guttedhorrorpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you heard here on this episode, please like, subscribe, Give us follow. a rating on Spotify if that's Spotify, YouTube. As always, thank you for watching and are listening to another episode of Gutted. Gutted.